Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Comics Deserve Better podcast. How are you all doing? We're back from summer vacation, chilling at the beach, hanging out at the malt shop, just having fun. Not really. And now we're reading comics, <laughs> which is also We're at the malt shop? I I was trying to think of summer activities. That That's was the first. That's not a summer activity, except from like 1962. <laughs> well, Archie and uh, the gang were there too. So and we'd great. all have to probably use different malt shops back. I know, then. actually, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's sad. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a modern malt. It was a very progressive malt shop. It was great. No, um, that's just because so- your white privilege just <laughs> shadowed the way you see malt shops. <laughs> Okay, well, okay. I made it awkward. I love it. <laughs> you know, if you're wondering who those voices are, um, like with, with me as always are Richard. Hey. And Carrie. Hello. Oh, well, <laughs> we are here in a very nice non segregated time, and we're going to talk about comics. Well, again, okay, welcome back. We could go into a discussion <laughs> about what's going on in the world, but let's not. Well, no, I, the I, world's great. So before, right just before we started recording, I was like, I'm not going to do things silly. And I accidentally, I guess I went into this area and here we are. Yep, okay. All nice. right. Uh, so, well, we do have a loaded show because we've been gone for a little bit and there's been a few news items that's come up. And uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. Actually, you know what? Um, we're going to, let's do spotlights first and then we'll go into the news and then we'll go into our main course. So, um, hmm. Who wants to start the season off? Let's go, Carrie. Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, I chose a manga. It's the from the Disney line of mangas that are available. It's called Stitch, Stitch and the Samurai, author and illustrator Hiroto Wada. And um, while fleeing the Galactic Federation, Stitch's spaceship malfunctions and he makes an emergency landing, not in Hawaii, but in Sengoku-era Japan. Discovered by the brutal warlord Lord Yamato and his clan, Stitch's incomparable cuteness is no match for the battle-weary samurai who decides to bring the blue tanuki home with him. Will Stitch's love of chaos turn into a formidable advantage for the samurai's influence, or will his cute and fluffy form disarm the noble lord's stern facade? It looks really cute. I haven't read it yet. Um, it's been kind of a hectic week, and I just got it. The art looks really fun, and I'm a huge Stitch fan fan so I was very excited uh we were hosting Nice over the long weekend so we had um I had to take her book shopping and this is one of the things that I bought so um, you have to have a license like this for me to get into like certain stories so I thought this was a nice little um crossover and a nice little extension of the Stitch universe so if that is something that if you're um you know, either you're a manga fan and you want to get into Disney or you love certain Disney characters and you want to get into manga or you have a kid um, or like some a, a young person in your life. I think this is a really nice way to do it because you know that the stories aren't going to be like over the top. Like one of my first mangas I ever bought was fucking Battle Royale. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, ages. like that's not something. And my dad actually picked up, I think like book three that I had downstairs. And he's like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, yeah, right. Um, so I think that this is a, a kind of safe way and a nice um, storied way to get into it. And uh, uh, this super cute. So I'm really excited to read it. It looks really good. And I mean, I've, I've read other Disney manga stuff that Tokyo Pop had put out before. 
and it's pretty good quality stuff so and they have a nightmare before christmas one which i think is awesome like it's a whole like jack skellington universe and i'm like what the fuck i've never seen this so i'm really excited to start branching out into so, uh, this version i had no idea that this type of thing existed this looks really neat yeah <laughs> it's super cute it, it was oh so it's just i just think it's fun like uh my like our niece she's heavily into manga and anime and so she's getting all of these really like obscure things that a 14 year old knows about off of tiktok or whatever the fuck and then i'm like oh i want to buy a manga but like i only know like fruits basket or paradise kiss you know like whatever and then i was in like the disney section and there's all kinds of shit i'm like this is perfect for someone who like doesn't know what to get into but knows that they want to try it and i'm like at least i know that i'll be guaranteed to like the story because i like the i like the character and i like that universe so whatever you know it's just, it's cute it's fun it reminds me of the um the what if stories like of superman like what if he landed like you know in soviet russia or what if he landed in like in this case like feudal japan because it's like almost the same exact story in the beginning it seems like where you said that he's running away from the galactic federation mm-hmm. but instead of yeah landing in hawaii he lands in like historical feudal Japan, which that yeah, Yamada is a real character and like yeah, that a real person from history. So yeah, and like one of the cool. things Yamato says is like, it's so cute. What is this? I want to touch it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, that's just kind of fun, you know? Yeah. And then the fact that they think that he's a tanuki. Yeah. That's awesome. That really also, cool. I appreciate how Stitch has a completely different art style from the uh, rest of the manga. Mm-hmm. So he just kind of like He's, he's more similar to what, you know, Stitch looks like in, you know, drawn by the Disney company. Yeah, exactly. And everything has, like, this more traditional manga look with, like, a lot more shading. And mm-hmm. he just sticks out like a sore thumb, but it's really yeah. fun. Yeah. And, and I, I had a look through the book, and, and the other aliens, the ones that are pursuing, they show up towards the end, and they have also the same shading as Stitch does as well. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. has that's kind of a cool motif. It's really good. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well... Richard, do you, do you want to go next on the Spotlight Brigade? No! Okay, sure, I'll, I'll go next. <laughs> I shall. Okay, perfect. I was scared there for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, what I am spotlighting uh, today is a uh, public domain issue one by uh, Chip Zdarsky. So this book is a, a fun one. Um, huh. It's like an alternate world where uh, we have a Jack Kirby and Stanley analogs uh, where the Jack Kirby analog lives to the time where like these uh, movies are coming out based on the characters. And the Stanley analog is just kind of like, you know, rich beyond his, you know, he kind of played the corporate game. So he got a lot of money off the character. Jack Kirby dude, almost nothing, even though he kind of created the character character's name is domain and like that's the premise for the book but the book's main character is the uh jack kirby uh, analog's eldest son because basically it's a relationship book about how this whole family has a poor relationship <laughs> mm-hmm. mom and dad kind of resent each other one of the kids is kind of like a washout well they're not kids they're all grown adults but the adult <laughs> children is kind of a grown washout and they're all dealing with that their father kind of is just jazzed with the fact that like hey like this thing that i created is famous and people love it it makes people happy and is it upset enough that he got screwed out of all the profits and all the money and it's like you know it's basically caused the rift in the family and it's not even so much that they're like gold diggers that they want the money it's just kind of like 
they're like, how are you okay with this, that this is happening to you? And he just, you know, smiles and, you know, progresses on. So he, he wants to go to the premiere of the uh, the, the new uh, comic book movie, Eminent Domain, and no one in the family will go with him. Because so. they don't like the $5,000 in the uh, the ticket, the movie ticket, and they have to fly out there, right? Yes, they have to. Yeah, basically, it's like they all have to come out of pocket. to do it and the dad's Mm -hmm. the only one that's like into it yeah so yeah so the main character miles he's a a journalist and his editor-in-chief basically assigns him to go cover the movie premiere to like you know go work the entertainment beat and he doesn't want to basically she's just like this is therapy like you hate this thing it's kind of ruined your life so go confront it and in interviewing interviewing the star of the movie like his personal feelings come through he keeps asking like tougher questions of the star. The star gets frustrated. He's like, it's just a stupid movie, which offends Miles. And long story short, he ends up, ends up punching the star in the face. And mm-hmm. he's only, he is arrested, but he's only let off because they don't want to make it into the news cycle and make it a bigger scandal. So basically they don't press, they drop charges. So at the premiere, his father uh, goes to, does the whole red carpet thing, goes to the show. He's like uh, met by yeah, Stan Lee, Analog's uh, <laughs> assistant, who she's just writ like, she has a legitimate passion for the character. And she's like, pleased to meet him, you know, very, you know, super, super excited. Be like one like, of us, the- you know, like being there. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like a, a nerd that like broke into the industry and mm-hmm. is, you know, very in love with the product. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas Miles met up with his brother Davey, who's kind of the washout. He's like living in an old van, basically. <laughs> but he bails him out. They, we got to do better with dad. So they go to go pick up the dad at the airport. And then uh, the young lady that works for Jerry, which is the uh, Stanley analog in this book, she's going through some files because they're supposed to send paperwork to the uh, movie company. And she basically finds evidence that the, uh, the uh, Jack Kirby analog owns the uh, character domain outright and that's oh. where we end up oh not right even the, not even the, the comic company at all like it's, it's 100 his character oh wow that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah and that's the end of issue one but yeah real mm-hmm. just fun interesting story yeah. like i could see it going into so many directions the nice thing is uh issue two came out this week so oh, cool. go pick it up if you're interested i i picked it up i read it it, it was a little while back so i kind of didn't remember much about it but, you know my uh, guess is that someone else is going to find out the information and kill the try, creator try to kill him yeah mm-hmm. i haven't that read it good. Though, i guess that sounds good i'm going to definitely continue reading that as well plus also zadarsky he hasn't drawn anything in so long mm-hmm. um i mean i guess we well i guess this is what came out on his uh, his substack and now oh, being, oh it came out there first yes and this is being printed so that's nice because i i didn't really want to support Substack as a platform but i'm glad that now we're getting his comics you know uh you know out outright on digital or, or uh, physical media so that's pretty good and also good for him too because that makes two sales um so double dip yep and same with the closet by uh, james Sinian that i talked about on i think our last episode over the last season is the same thing that was originally on Substack. Um, so that's good, you know. Everyone gets to get read good books without bending their scruples, you know, like they're able to to read what they want to. Wait a minute, the way that they want to. Why don't we like Substack? I was, oh. gonna, say, I was, I was gonna ask the same thing. I was like, is oh, Substack bad? I know nothing because because um, they're 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 doing absolutely no filtering and they're actually kind of 
help um trying to get like like very like far right leaning people on there as well to to do blogs and stuff like that and that's that Uh, was yeah so um, it's a very it's a very wild west media that is attracting some um not too good opinions Oh, well, that's unfortunate yeah. yeah so it's good for the comic creators like the comic creators we like but unfortunately they're attracting every type of comic creator if you know what i mean <laughs> so but yeah um all right well um with that i'll guess i'll go ahead and get started on my uh, spotlight two which um just came out a couple weeks ago uh, even though the book is from the 80s, or the, the material from the book is from the 80s. It's uh, called Talk to My Back by y- Yamada Murasaki. It came out um, by Drawn and Quarterly, a new edition of it. Um, it was translated by Ryan Holmberg. So this is an anthology of, of like a slice, slash, like slice of Life comics of, of Murasaki. Actually, it is an anthology of Slice of Life comics by Murasaki, um, who was very much a major alternative manga during the 80s. And um, though it's about the life of a wife and a mother of two girls, the stories are very punk rock in nature. And I'll, um, you know, I mean, it's not like musically punk rock, but like this, like the kind of feel of them. Um, the reason why is because like, the series wears is it's disdain of how women were viewed and treated in both society and at home, which is extremely rebellious considering the, uh, the social conservatism and rampant misogyny that and patriarchy that existed in Japan in the 1980s. Um, so the story depicts um, the woman I'm based, I'm guessing it's based on herself and her life. Um, the, the, the writer um, and she's basically trying to be the best and um, best like, and, great mother that she could possibly be and run a nice household but she you know she has two kids um her husband's like a third kid essentially basically <laughs> like going like i want my nail clippers i want my tea you know like and like and he comes home you know because of once again because of, of work culture in japan you know he's coming home super late every night because um because of, of the hours and also um workers especially in that, that era would go out and like you know, kind of partying carouse until later, then that would be part of the business of the job because of, of like social network. That's and bad. so, so he get home late and then he's like, he wants his food right now. And he wants his like, you know, he wants basically to be served and like, and, uh, and, and she's not, she's not too happy about that, obviously. Um, so this is a stories about basically kind of her standing up for herself as well as like she does something like very taboo in the of the time and she gets a part-time job um somewhere to make some of her own money essentially and like also kind of get out of the house um it's there's like these really heartfelt stories there's some very funny stories going on like you know especially when it comes to the kids um there's some heartbreaking stories when it comes to like pets (laughs) um but uh, overall, you know, it's like it's a you know you get a really nice you know like slice of life, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, with the, all these little mini stories, it's uh, about three hundred and fifty pages worth of of stories, and um, and like you know they kind of start kind of very not they kind of start vague in a way, I guess is the best way to put it. But as we get deeper deeper in the story, you can tell that. Um, Yamada Murasaki was getting very um, 
comfortable telling the story so that story gets more and more in depth as we go mm-hmm. and that's when we get into the more uh, like the social concerns and like the more like the feminism and everything as we get we get going through the story so so yeah it's a uh, it's very good it's a um, very interesting look um it's a it's a um, specific time but i don't know how different it is now in in like japanese society but i know in that era it was it was very much like a misogynistic uh patriarchal kind of society when it came to working in families and everything so um it's nice to hear to to read someone who was like strong enough and brave enough to be an iconoclast during that time you know so it's pretty cool that's cool yeah it was really good it's yeah you'll have a plethora of emotions as you read it <laughs> that's that's all i was gonna say it sounds good it's like a great slice of life book but also it sounds like such a bummer like I, mm-hmm. i'm glad it exists but it's just yeah. like oh like yeah we're just gonna you know read chapter of chapter of her like just getting shitted on shit on the like you dig your way out a little bit dig your way out a little bit mm-hmm. it has bittersweet moments um but in all honesty like it's she does a little more than just dig a little bit she she i think she comes out on top on most of the situations in oh this, no no, no i'm sure at the end or yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. it's just kind of yeah but, I know. like again glad it exists because I'm sure someone who uh, is in a similar situation could read this and, you know, be inspired by it or something. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you have you ever watched a porn and then got <laughs> so into the storyline that you forget the original reason why you started watching it? <laughs> there was a Japanese porn I watched one time and it was really that that shit was real fucking sad. It was about this wife who ends up like it's like that trope of like, oh, the delivery guy or like the maintenance worker comes to your house and is like fixing your sink. So she ends up like banging that guy. Right. But Mm -hmm. like, it's sad because like the focal point of it is that like, she's tasked with just taking care of her child. She lives in a beautiful house that she didn't want because her, it was a status, you know, it was a status symbol. So her husband wanted it. Her husband made her move away from her friends and her side of the family. So they live in this house that she doesn't want. They, it's this life that she doesn't really care for. And so she meets this, not even like a younger or like necessarily like a super hot, but just like this normal guy that she's like semi attracted to. And they end up having like crazy sex. But like at the heart of it, it's just that she just wanted something that was hers and not something that was controlled or dictated by like her husband or his family because the mother-in-law ends up finding out about the affair and does the wife a solid and is like hey I've got to tell you know my son because I found out about it she's like it's just what I'm supposed to do she's like but I'm letting you know that I'm gonna tell him so the husband finds out about it and instead of like even like beating her which I and I'm not condoning violence but I'm just like that I could have almost seen as part of the storyline but instead it was almost like you're embarrassing me so you're gonna stop this I don't care if you're in love with him or if this has moved into an emotional affair as well but like you're gonna stop you're ruining the look of our life it's essentially the whole thing it was a trip and it's it was so sad and I feel like that story that book you're telling us about is Mm -hmm. also sad because even though like yeah. the message 
I don't There's some think, bit of sweetness to it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of, like, for something that was supposed to get you off, it was real fucking depressing. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah, I was So, like, it, it was not what I expected at all. It, it also says, shows that, like, yeah, these, these themes are definitely still rampant. Yeah, like, and I, on, I honestly, I mean, a long, long-winded way, but I honestly think that there's a lot of that still going on especially like in america we we pride our freedoms quote unquote or like our individuality blah 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 where like in other cultures that we're not used to it's more about community and familial ties than it is about like you know that trumps like your individualism so I just find, you know, it's things that we don't understand because we're, we are, we didn't grow up in that way or like we weren't exposed to it. So I, I do think those themes, I mean, if they're finding their way into the porn industry, then obviously it's something that still very much exists in society. <laughs> so that was also an all time great tangent. Yes, it was. I don't know how we got there. That was legendary. Yeah. But that is the weirdest Whistle. porn I've ever heard about. I got really emotionally invested in it. At one time I was telling Brian that I saw one where I was just so entranced by the this set. I was like, wow, that's beautiful furniture. That I actually went on the comment section on Pornhub. And I and instead of like it being about the girl, like how hot she was, it was all about like, where was that furniture from? That furniture was really nice. Yeah. I'm like, I love people. We think the same sometimes. It's really nice. The 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 comments actually can be very meme worthy. Actually, I, a lot of people will post random comments on there. From I've from seen there. actual people save lives. As somebody was suicidal in a comment section, mm-hmm. and that person did not kill themselves because people reached out to that person. Oh, I have seen. Yeah, it was it yeah. was awesome. I have seen good things happen. So not as awesome as that but still kind of awesome i've seen a high school student get help on their math homework from here the comment section. it's just you know it's just the purest people are in that Pornhub comment section don't you dismiss it cheers, cheers. listener <laughs> my greatest comments ever is that someone was like look this is what it is i have this much cocaine i got i need to make money fast and i want to learn how to make it into crack and right directly underneath it somebody is posted what i assume is the recipe for crack because i do not know how to make it but it looked oh, legit no. and i was and like and i was just like this is amazing like this is what the internet's for apparently you oh, know, <laughs> again it's people helping people, people in times of need you've got we have to rely on each other government's not going to help that's us. all we got y'all all, all we, we got is, is each other, other. Yep, exactly. I guess as, uh, now is a good time as ever to go <laughs> jump into the news section. Um, so, okay, well, you guys decide. Good news first or bad news first? Bad news. Yeah, I'm a glutton for depression. So, yeah, let's, uh, okay, let's do bad do, news. Let's do bad news first, and then let's get we'll jump into the good news. So, um, oh, while we were gone, the funniest thing kind of happened uh, to one of the the, you know, icons of independent comics um oni press um and we just kind of want to talk about it because we've talked about in the in the past about in the news you know like you know certain people getting hired and like certain job you know certain books coming out and things like that so unfortunately what basically what's happened is that uh oni 
Lion Forge Oni, which uh, they're now known as because they uh, Lion Forge and Oni had had merged together, um, just all of a sudden out of nowhere had a blow up um, of uh, of their employees and got rid of a good majority of uh, the people who work for them, especially even people who they just hired like months ago, uh, like the Hen- Henry Barajas for one, um, we, we had mentioned before on the podcast when he got hired and like Alex Skura, Amanda Meadows, you know, like there's as other more people just got laid off uh, without really being told that those gonna happen. Um, the um, James Lucas Jones, who's been like the head of Oni for ages, I think maybe even from the beginning, um, and um, Charlie Chu, who's been there for a long time as well. Yeah, just so um, what makes it great? Well, the assumption is that they're getting the company ready to be sold. And so they're getting rid of overhead, essentially, to make it more palatable for a big company to come up and pick it up and, and buy it. But that doesn't mean what they're it just now screwed a bunch of people in the industry because now they don't have a job and they didn't have a chance to prepare for something like this. Then this would happen two weeks before Comic-Con. Uh, Comic-Con, they were going to uh, have a 25th anniversary celebration that got abruptly canceled, obviously, Sad. because, yeah. So this happened right before Oni, like, was, you know, going to turn 25 officially and have, you know, and now they're kind of in dire straits. There were a few books I've been keeping my eye on the last couple of weeks that have been canceled as well. So, you know, like, it's just, yeah, it's kind of gone, gone to pot. In the friends section, I, I feel kind of sorry for them that they had to kind of come out and and, and obviously make a press, uh, you know, like, you know, something, you know, an announcement to the press, like something official to to release, a press release. There we go. Um, and, um, but, um they did do a good job. Uh, basically, they were kind of like, oh, you know, there's been a lot of allegations and rumors about what's going on in Oni Press. And, you know, we're just doing our best to keep, you know, keep going and and we're, you know, to, to produce quality products. And no mention about everybody who lost their job, no sympathy, no empathy at all. I mean, it's, yeah. So, yeah, they kind of screwed the pooch <laughs> when it came to that announcement. But, um, yeah, I mean, Oni means a lot. I mean, I, I know everyone knows like, Scott Pilgrim. And if it wasn't, I've mentioned this, I think, on our first episode ever, like, like if it wasn't for any press, I probably would have never really got into indie comics. So the there's a blame for this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. I've never really read much for my own, but I mean it's still a sad story. The wild thing is today I was going, I went to the comic shop and was uh, going through the books for my pull list, mm-hmm. and there was a book that I wasn't picking up, but it was brandished with that Oni 25th anniversary stamp on it. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, oh, these two things don't really go together at the moment. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, the that's not the way to celebrate a 25th anniversary. Um, hopefully everything kind of works out with them. Um, maybe something that like what happened to um uh, slave labor graphics, uh, where they kind of um had a kind of blow up and um but then the you know it got merged with Dark Horse and Dark Horse is still releasing, you know, those uh those properties as well or or hopefully the people that have properties that only press are able to reacquire them from them you know because i know that they're 
creator owned, but you know, whatever the contract says, you know, like, you know, you have to kind of go by what the contract says too. So uh, hopefully there won't be too much problem or fighting if that that's what it kind of boils down to is where they have to go somewhere else with their, with their uh, IP. So we'll see what happens, but. Is it still located up in Portland? Yes. And, okay. um, as far as I know, yeah, they're still up in, they're still up in, uh, in Portland. Okay. That's really yeah. sad. I'm re- I'm rereading this statement right now from Twitter and it's, yeah, it's not the best. Uh, with, with wildly sensationalistic rumors circulating and false information spreading, Yikes. we'd like to reiterate that recent personnel changes that only line force policy group were made with the sole purpose of evolving the company and brand. <laughs> Yay. Uh, okay. Well, let's do good news. Okay. Yes, um, so Eisner Awards, which is always good news. You know, even if you don't win, it's still good news because you got nominated. <laughs> so um, oh, no one buys that shit. Yeah. That Oscar. Oh, I just just happy to be oh. nominated. No, asshole, you wanted to win. Yeah, but so well, of course you want to win, but it is nice to be <laughs> in the game. Yeah, in the, no, that's exactly. True. That's true. Yeah, it's like, yeah, making the playoffs is at least something, right? You know. Um, but uh, a lot of heavy hitters on the independent comic scene uh, won Eisner's this year. Uh, that just happened um, for a bitter root um, and something is killing the children uh, tied for best continuing series. Oh, cool! Which uh, both those series are great, you know. Um, and uh, and then they beat out. I mean, um, they beat out another James Tiny book, um, the Department of Truth. But then there was two. Um, Marvel and DC books. There was Immortal Hulk and uh, and Nightwing. You know, like so they beat they beat out the big two on that too. Um, best limited series, uh, Good Asian, which um, I know I've talked about a little bit on the on the podcast, but we haven't done like a main subject of it. But that was a really good series that just ended last year. Um, I haven't read the Good Asian yet, but the many deaths of Layla Star got robbed. I definitely what many day de- what happened. What happened? Many deaths of Layla Starr got robbed. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. no, no, it was in the category. It just lost to the good Asian. Yeah, oh, that's, wow. that's true. I just yeah, noticed that as well. And yeah, um, that was definitely my favorite book of last year. But I mean, good Asian was, was good as well. And I guess, you know, well, I have to be happy for them. But you know what, though? Uh, you know what did win um, is for best publication for teens on, um, between ages of 13 and 17, uh, Oh, Congratulations, awesome. uh, Legend of Anti Poe, which we talked about a few months ago on the podcast. It, it, if you haven't read that, pick it up. It's great. Yeah, you it's know? actually really excellent. It's Eisner Award winning. So, yeah, you have no excuse. Read it. Um, the Chibi Usagi by, uh, by Julian Stan Sakai won Best Publication for Early Readers. Uh, that's, you know, Stan. Well, he always wins for like lettering, but I'm glad he won. For, for another book too. Um, best humor publication was Not All Robots by Mark Russell and Mike Dodato Jr. That um, read the f- first few issues of that. That was pretty good, obviously. Um, the um, reality-based work, uh, David F. Walker, the same guy did uh, who did Bitter Root, uh, he won with the Black Panther Party Graphic History uh, with um, Marcus Kwame Anderson. And um, so, yeah, I think he ended up with three um, Eisners. And so that's awesome for him. Yeah, that's um, a great day. Best graphic memoir was run, uh, book one, which is the sequel to um, the, uh, the, uh, the the previous John Lewis um, anthologies. Oh, cool. Oh, March? March, thank you, yes. And so, yeah, this, yeah, this is the first book of the, of the, new, of the new trilogy of uh, the John Lewis story. And... Um, 
then best graphic album um, monsters by barry windsor smith won uh he also won best writer an artist you know combination person wow mm-hmm. um yeah and um yeah there's there's some really good ones barry, barry windsor smith has it like the mainstream stuff in forever but he's always just doing stuff off on the side <laughs> that's like always winning big awards and just critically acclaimed yep yeah, definitely. And, and I have his Monsters was on sale in like January for like it's like it's like a fifty dollar comic book and it was on sale for oh, like damn. it was on sale for like twenty bucks and I was like, okay, I'm picking this up. So it's on my list to read on my on my comicsology, but I'm definitely gonna get to it soon. I'm actually reading my favorite thing is monsters right now. Um and um and that book is good, but it reads slow, so I'm like taking the hundred pages at a time. Um so um the um best writer all over um i mean between ed brubaker uh kelly sudetaconic Filippi malo um or mellow my, my bad um ram v and but J- james tanyan the fourth one in that group it's amazing um all i would be happy for any of those of those, those writers to win because they're all great writers yeah, no. murderers um, row yeah and best penciler um, Phil Jimenez uh, with Wonder Woman Historia. Um, it's not independent comic, but you know what? Um, if you've seen that work, it sure is pretty. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that they won. Um, Sana Takeda with Monstrous. We haven't done any Monstrous yet, and we got to do Monstrous. But um, they, they won uh, Best Painter Multimedia Artist. And uh, let's see, uh, Jen Bartel won, which Yay. is always good, best cover artist, but that was all DC and Marvel stuff. Ooh. But so, <laughs> and uh, best coloring was uh, Matt Wilson. I think, I like, think she had a good Asian uh variant in there somewhere, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, I th- yeah, so but and like a Jen Bartel cover is is gold, yeah, like all the time. Like you can tell it's Jen Bartel cover and it's always good. Like mm-hmm. the the, the She Hulk covers are great. I, I'm loving those with her, like with She Hulk in her like best like you know corporate clothes. You know, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, and Matt Wilson, Undiscovered Country, Firepower, um, and uh, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters uh, was best coloring and best lettering was Barry Windsor Smith for Monsters also. So yeah, he won like three three eisners for the for for monsters so cool. i got i definitely got to read that soon maybe i'll have that as a spotlight coming up um and last but not least best digital comic um snow angels uh jeff and lemire and jock and that was a really good series i talked about that um a few seasons ago too cool um i it's a good post-apocalyptic uh family story so recommend it richard did you see the um the new wakanda forever trailer I did not. I meant to watch it today when I got home from work and just never did. It it gave me chills. And I don't like movies. I'm very, and I won't watch it probably, but I'm very excited <laughs> for audience. it. What? You're not the audience. But you well, liked- I am the audience. Yeah. I just don't like to sit in theaters Yeah, because they hurt me. I will go see it. Yes. And I will love it. You I'll, should see it twice. So that way it, it counts yeah, like people thought. That. I was gonna say that um and then like yeah the she-hulk um trailer looked really yeah good that too. was really good too so it looks like you know uh, hall h was very uh busy this year yep and <laughs> after after a few years of hiatus yep absolutely no they they were definitely on full full hot heatness i did see a uh uh i forget what if it was a reddit thread or a twitter thread and they're like 
Imagine being DC and you announce all your new stuff and you're feeling good about yourself. And then Marvel just kind of starts dropping bombs out of Hall H. And I was just like, yeah, that sucks for them. <laughs> yeah. By the way, like our phase five and phase six and our, our you know, like here, here's the map. And because I guess fun. the new Guardians, the last installment also had the trailer, but it's like a rough edit. So only the fans who were in Hall H got to see it. It's not mm, for yeah. like public consumption yet, I guess. And um, I guess people were like literally crying. I'm really excited to see what Adam Warlock looks looks like. How that how they do that. Oh and, my god. Yeah. It, what a time. And they and like and we're not even mentioning that like they announced two Avengers movies that we didn't know existed until <laughs> yeah. that day. Exactly. So yeah, they I think Marvel obviously won. And then um and then they have um their their uh the disney club the what's it called the the disney oh, d23 d23 thank you oh d23 that, yeah and that's supposed to come up and they're supposed to fill out the, the uh, phase six schedule more on uh with with um with, with the uh, d23 expo so crazy we'll see what happens well and also uh, hopefully they'll announce I, i'm really excited i want to see who the fantastic four are going to be i want to see the act which actors i want to see who's cast i'm sure it'll be great and um, i i don't care all i want is to you need to we're, we're here you need to be able to make a proper comic accurate thing yes i 100 percent agree i have a comic accurate doom for once would be so amazing yes and awesome the, and, doom. and it sounds like they're setting it up for doom to be the big bad because secret wars is going to be the last uh last one the last uh, movie so god emperor doom we might get that on the big screen <laughs> that's awesome it, 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 you you take it i think everyone takes it for granted if you would have told me in 2008 when we saw the the iron man stinger at the end of hulk that we would get all of this i'd, I'd be like bullshit yeah I, mm-hmm. I refuse to believe you and it's just like no 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 we get one of these every uh, six weeks now between Disney Plus and the movie theater. And like at worst, it's all good. Like I, I don't think they put out anything that's below, let me no. say below watchable. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like they, they, there's yet to be something that's like abominable. You know, it's just different variations of how much you like it or dislike it. Of course. It. Definitely. But, Definitely. But like, yeah, no. It's so much stuff. Like I'm so behind. I haven't watched Moon Knight or Ms. Marvel. Ms. And it just and it just keeps churning and it's all mm-hmm. so good and fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, exactly. And like the thing is too is that even if you get behind, it's like you you know you have some quality in your future, like that you get to watch. Right. right? Like, yeah, so. <laughs> all right. Well, um uh, what's it called was uh auspiciously uh, missing from that list though. And no one seems to know why uh, Armor Wars that was already announced as like yeah, a Disney Plus series. That's true. Was oh. not on that map anymore. And 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 Riri's definitely in uh, Wakanda Forever. And, so so yeah. And then the, and the Iron Heart was still on there. Yeah, Iron Heart was still on there too. Actually, I don't think. But did Iron Heart have her own show before? I thought she was only going to be it's on. Supposed to be. It's a no, no. It's a, I believe it's a Disney Plus series. Okay. I, that might be new though, because I because I think I think that um, that she was only going to be in Armor Wars and um, and Wakanda Forever. I don't think she had her own show. This might be coming out at D twenty three. Yeah, that's, that's true. 
But so that was a good Marvel tangent. There you go for all your indie comics yes. needs. <laughs> no, I, I, I had brought up the Wakanda Forever trailer great. because it one, I think they're the way that they're going to um incorporate Chadwick's passing is going to be excellent. Um yeah. and it's all over like Latino Twitter uh, that the actor who is playing Namor yes. is Latino and he actually addressed um, his fan or like the fans in Spanish at Comic-Con for the tra- after the oh, trailer. Nice. And um, it's I, I posted something on on my Instagram for all 37 of my followers. Thank you very much. How it's important. And it's very humbling that it's just, it's very humbling that there is a movie with an, an amazing cast of Black artists and, you know, Latinos have it shitty in Hollywood too, as far as, as far as stereotyping of characters, uh, just like Black actors have. And so the fact that there's a shared space, it's, it's humbling and it's awesome. And there's, um, and and it's really cool. It's I I just love it. So I'm, I'm I, really excited I, for that. I honestly won't stand for this uh, brown washing. Namor's <laughs> last <laughs> name's Mackenzie. He has to be Irish, who looks sort of Asian for some weird reason. I'm hoping he that's that, <laughs> that would be great. Oh my god, people would be so bad. Oh yeah, I guess. Stupidest. Yeah, <laughs> people would be protesting <sighs> like. So no good. one knows that Namor's last name is Mackenzie, except for losers like me. And like people would take <laughs> this as an opportunity to protest. Oh yeah. yeah, dude has wings, tiny wings that somehow cover that somehow make him fly. So I can have suspension of belief that a Mackenzie can be <laughs> be Hispanic. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, oh man. Um, but no, yeah. And and what's even better is that they're both monarchs. And like, yeah, it's it's really cool that that we're gonna get like country versus country, you know, in a movie. Like, and then I have a feeling because I, I guess there was some doom, some hints of doom that might be in it as well. And so oh, I need I, to watch this trailer. Yeah, well, yeah, but there's not in the trailer though. But like, but I, I've heard that there's um, there's some some um, working of Doom's costume, like there that like some um, some artists' renditions of of like what he's gonna look like in the movie. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I guess we'll get back into independent comics. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for um, uh, attending our Comic Con yes, wrap up. Yeah, that we yeah. weren't there for. Oh. It was in the news. It was. It was, <laughs> it was and, in the news. And you know what? I mean, it's helping everybody. Like Mar- Marvel is kind of pushing um, this diversity that independent comics is really only doing by themselves for a long time. So that's pretty good. Um, Rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. Oh, is that an actual saying? It is. I love mm-hmm. that. Really I love saying. that. Yeah. Wow. So, that was oh man, profound. I can't just took credit. No, no, I came up with myself here, <laughs> Richard. It was beautiful, Richard. Um, <laughs> but, um, the um, so let's go ahead and go into our DIY corner really quick. Um, this is there's kind of, still news. Just, <laughs> just, shit. just okay, let's yeah. go. Just la- la- last thing, uh, DIY corner. <laughs> um, I'm only going to mention for just for a second or for a few minutes here. Um, so 
remember last my I'm sorry you're like i'm just gonna mention it for a second i mean a few minutes and i'm no, thinking I, yeah that's more along the lines of hour. like how brian talks okay go ahead. okay <laughs> so do you remember last uh episode uh my spotlight uh was the shelly bond filthy grammar uh book um so i guess when she was editing her own book she took a lot of pages out um and most of those pages were the story of her being an editor um like life and times of uh, of like her career um so she decided that she really liked those pages as much as like pages that got into the book themselves and started decided to make a sequel called uh, fast times in comic book editing just <laughs> went live today tuesday as we're recording so two days ago when you're listening if you're listening on the day this comes out um and um and it's basically she had mentioned that um the first book was 80 percent how to um and then 20 percent like biography and this one's going to be 80 percent biography 20 percent how to and so you kind of oh. get in, into a story with some some great artists, um, same artists as before, obviously doing um, some more work, um, some some fun renditions of, um, of of characters that we you know real life people that we know in the comic industry like Neil Gaiman and, and Grant Morrison and Peter Milligan, you know like you get to see artist renditions of them as as uh, Shelley Bond's story continues and goes through. Um, there's a really cool panel that's on um, on on the Kickstarter of Grant Morrison playing guitar in space, which looks really cool. So yeah, it looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun. It does look neat. Yeah. So um, so yeah, um, I just gotta say that um, the other book is is now more available. It's not it's not the Kickstarter edition, but it's the same. You know, it's basically the same book as before, just a different cover and everything. You can get that on their website. Um, and if if you like that or you're interested and you want to get um, on the ground level of a of a new Shelley Bond how-to book, this is the time to do it and get some stickers and get some pins like I did. Yeah, she sends a lot of swag. Yeah, the swag is really awesome cool. too. You know, so definitely recommend. Okay. All right. <laughs> so here we are. This week was my choice for the episode uh, our inaugural episode season nine episode one um which was uh, prince of cats by ronald wimberly letters by jared k fletcher logo type and design assist by jordan haley from image comics uh this is a continuation of my musical journey through comic books um this is number two of my journey uh first one was murder falcon a few weeks ago um this one we're now going from metal of uh of murder falcon into the world of hip-hop with uh prince of cats so this book is described as a remix or sample of william shakespeare Romeo and juliet and since carrie earlier on our group chat paraphrased the story of Romeo and juliet so well i kind of just want her to to off the top of her head paraphrase again um, off the top of my head or or, or read what you wrote you know um okay so romeo and juliet i hate romeo and juliet so <laughs> I, I do have um, a bias for it so um one little bitch idiot romeo and another little bitch idiot juliet fall in love they're too young and stupid to be in love they bone it's a no-no priest gets involved 
helps them get married, pisses off both families. Families are in feud with families feud with are fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them dies first. I hate it so much. I don't care who. Then the other one dies, mm-hmm. and no one's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, Juliet dies first, even though she thinks. Yeah, I mean, I literally <laughs> don't care for it, so okay. I just like don't. And it, it's just it. You have to read it in most college prep classes. Mm-hmm. Um, as I get older, I have issues with teaching Shakespeare. Um, but considered a, a classic so you must read it um but whatever that's my synopsis of it i'm sure cliff notes and spark notes do a much more elaborate better job or wikipedia even yeah. but yeah it's uh that's my really basic run-of-the-mill um and actually i'll get into into that in just a second too regarding like where to to get a, um to get a quick synopsis about it because i feel that um at least it helped me the first time i read this when I um to have just had listened to something about Romeo and Juliet and and like and it was funny because like the, the before I go in any further this this was the second time I've read it and I've read it I read it first time about two years ago you know how usually when you read something the second time it's like usually supposed to be an easier read for some reason I think it's because I, it's been such a long time mm-hmm. since it's been like over two years since I've um you know kind of paid attention to the story of Romeo and Juliet that uh this was actually more difficult the second time oh interesting reading. um and um so um the story what's really interesting is that so it uses the kind of same language that um you know that is in the original Romeo and Juliet uh that's the that's the language that is used between most of the characters um and um so but yeah it's kind of it's modernized. It's not like it's not like the Baslerman Lerman Romeo and Juliet where they're strictly on script. This is this is actually a whole new script because this is a story. Like I said, it's a, a remix of it. Instead of uh, being about Romeo and Juliet, it's actually about Tybalt, uh, the the titular Prince of Cats, and uh, he's the older cousin. He's a Capulet of um, of Juliet, cousin of Juliet, and um, this is. Um, this story now takes place instead of Verona, Italy, um, is a hyper-realistic 1980s uh, New York where gangs now settle their differences by dueling with katanas instead of uh, guns and stuff, you know? Um, question. Yes. I'm going to interrupt really quick. They mention Verona. They do. Yes. Uh, so, uh, well, I think I think that it's supposed to definitely still take place in Verona. Okay. But it's like, it's modeled after. Oh, okay. Okay. After after New York in the eighties. Gotcha. Thank you for um, clarifying. And um, the so that's such a big thing. The dueling is such a big thing that there's actually a magazine that ranks duelists. Um, and, I did love that part. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then so Tybalt um, has been away at a charter school. Um, it comes back during summer vacation. Finds out that his dear friend and a legendary duelist who's used to be number one and also a great graffiti artist um, named Patricio uh, has been slain by the now number one duelist uh, Romeo Montague. So that doesn't sit too well because not only is the the guy killed his friend, but uh, he's also a Montague and Tybalt to Capulet. So um, that doesn't sit well, like I said. Uh, meanwhile, um, he meets up with his cousin Juliet uh, and takes her out for the day. Bends her though on a Ferris wheel and 
basically Coney Island um, to go fight some Montagues, um, you know, to, to avenge his, his, uh, his friend. And uh, he literally jumps off the, uh, the Ferris wheel, which is actually really cool. Um, there's a lot of um, kind of like um, Japanese influence to this, a lot of samurai influence. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much like the, the kind of your, your samurai superhero kind of style thing going there. Um, and then um, there's multiple battles. Uh, he runs across Rosalind, who in this story is a reporter for the Duelist newspaper. Um, and she starts, they start a romantic relationship with each other. So in Romeo had his eyes on Rosalind and is rebuked by her, which is if you've, you know, the beginning of Romeo and Juliet, that's why he's all sad and mopey because of the, of, of Rosalind not liking her, him. And so um, that kind of brings us into the actual Romeo and Juliet story. Um, I would say about 70% of this, of this particular story takes place before Romeo and Juliet. Yes. And then yeah. the last, yeah, the last end is, is actually during those that story. So all those multiple fights um, causes the Prince of Verona, basically the mayor of New York, um, to declare that any further fighting will not result in executions and banishment. Um, so... Romeo crashes a Capulet party, just like in Romeo and Juliet, starts a romance with Juliet, which infuriates Tybalt, but he's stopped because of this, this mandate um, that has been in place. And so he decides to not say anything. However, um, Tybalt decides later to go look for Romeo, runs into Mercutio, who would in that was my favorite character in Romeo and Juliet. And actually probably my favorite character in this as well. Um, he's friends with Romeo. He's like the guy who taught uh, Romeo how to fight with the sword. Um, so he's not a too shabby of a sword fighter himself. Mercutio uh, stands in the way of Tybalt uh, confronting Romeo, uh, which results in a duel between the two. Tybalt kills Mercutio, which infuriates Romeo. So, after Tybalt visits the local church and finds out that Romeo and Juliet eloped, as Carrie had mentioned before, um, um, and they were about to run off, Romeo finds him in the church and challenges him to a duel. They fight hard, but Tybalt is ultimately killed, and boom, the end, <laughs> which was a huge surprise to me. Because even though I knew that's how Tybalt, Tybalt dies in the story, mm-hmm. I one, I thought maybe this was going to be alternative, and like Tybalt, since he's our hero of the story, gotcha. was going to survive. And two, yeah, it's super abrupt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and two, yeah, it, it literally, it's like boom, he hits the ground, the end, mm-hmm. boom, we're done. It's no like, it's there's no like. And also, um, because of a, a keepsake, like a little charm necklace yes. that he won Juliet at the carnival. Yeah, and like right as he's dying, like it's on Romeo's neck, and he snatches it off right as he's dying. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe going for the charm is what causes him to die, possibly. Yeah, but I he so. that's how he finds out that they're together. Yes, like, uh, uh, yeah, officially, like that's that's her love, because that that was what the charm signified was that you'd give it to the to your love. So, oh, that's so, yeah. right, that's so, right. So, as I as I mentioned before, um, most of this is done um, in kind of the same language type as um, as William Shakespeare has, uh, which can be kind of difficult to read. Uh, so, like like I said, oh, may, may, may I, Brian? Yes. I did not enjoy this book because reading it was such a chore Yes, between the Shakespeare speak and the eighties hip hop speak. And Mm -hmm. like I was reading pages multiple times just Mm -hmm. to keep track of it. (laughs) And I just, 
the book is not bad. The book is actually pretty good. It's absolutely gorgeous. I yeah. Could, yeah. could wax poetic about the art forever. Every time there's a fight scene, like you, you know, get your popcorn ready. It's gonna be beautiful. But like it felt like such a task and such a drag that I just didn't enjoy the experience. Yeah. While like to... no while noticing the quality. Yeah. I have to totally second what Richard said. It I... was the it was the choice to use the Shakespearean language, which I have a horrible time with anyways. And I don't necessarily like gore. And I and I'm not saying it's a gory book, There's but some... I think violence is also like the level of violence is subjective. And in my personal opinion, I thought it was very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I still thought the violent I would much rather it have been a silent book which I also hate (laughs) than it being in Shakespearean English yeah I thought that the juxtaposition of all the characters back and forth back and forth uh, and like Richard alluded to all the rad 80s hairstyles and stylings Mm -hmm. I was also kind of like getting confused with who was who and I'm like I have no idea who you are but I I because of the language I did not care enough to try to find out I was just like I didn't know Tybalt died at the end until I had to rewatch it like not rewatch it but like reread it I'm like oh that was Tybalt he fought oh okay I mean it's a really good book but I just think that I think you have to be prepared like, mm-hmm. uh, Brian, you didn't forewarn us about the language. I was going to say, so I appreciate the fact that, like, the uh, the writer, artist, he took a big swing. Like, Absolutely. I appreciate the fact that, like, yeah, no, it takes a lot more work to just put the uh, the dialogue in regular than to be like, oh, no, I'm going to do this Shakespearean, you know, slang, New York American hybrid thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a big swing. It just didn't work for me. It just... It yeah. like I appreciate the effort that went into it, but it just oh god, it just made it, it made reading the book feel like a task. I like it, instead of feeling like a pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I accidentally I kind of forgot that it was written. Oh, like did that, you? Or I would have warned you. Oh, both. you dork. Okay, um, but but and, so like I said, it's been two. It was been yeah, two years. absolutely. And when yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's fine. And when I read it the first time, like I said, <laughs> I. Sorry, I have literally just Johnny. I just literally finished like doing a recap of Romeo and Juliet. So, yes. so that, that was much- the other thing I wanted to mention is that he's going into it like, yo, we all know yeah. Romeo and Juliet like the back of our hand. So, like, we're just putting these characters that we all know very yeah. well and intimately. <laughs> <laughs> In this setting, and I'm like, exactly. nah, bro. I haven't looked at Romeo and Juliet in at least 20 years because yeah. I haven't been in high school. I know I have no context for these characters anymore. That you're like treating like, of course you know who Tybalt is. Of course yeah. you know who Mercutio is. No, no. I, as a matter of fact, I don't though. <laughs> I think maybe it is like the writer's attention to that you read, you you read or watch. Romeo and Juliet, but you definitely could use the primer. It could, it should actually probably say that, but because, because the thing is, too, is that there is a uh catalog, like a a index of all the characters in the beginning of the um of the book, but it's just pictures, 
And so, and like, and it's like, and it's not just like your Romeo's and Juliet's and your Tibbles and Mercutio's. It's like everybody. And like, do you remember? I don't even remember Petruchio in the original book or in the original play, even though I know he was in it. Yeah. Like as, as a mention. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and the same with Rosalind. Rosalind. She's is, off screen. She's off. Yeah, I don't think. No, no, but it, remember, this is like kind of a prequel. So yeah, I think exactly. Patricia yeah. dead. Yes. In Romeo and Juliet. Yes, yes. yes. exactly. So I, that's what I'm saying, though, is that like when you're looking at the index, you're like seeing all these names and they're all crazy names like Patricio and Mercutio. Um, oh, please, Carrie, go ahead. If I were teaching like yeah. an entry level college composition, college reading class, mm-hmm. like first years. And we were retouch, like we were retouching classics and we were going over Romeo and Juliet. I would absolutely have this as something on my, um, my lesson plan. I think it's a fabulous way to introduce students or readers to a different side of these characters and to mm-hmm. a different point of view. I absolutely loved the fact, I mean, I loved Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet for a reason. I loved like the, the retelling of a classic story. I do love that, but I also love being able to understand it. And that was my big yeah. problem. I just, I wasn't about to bust out like my Sparks notes you know, and like, right. and ha- and have like the modern verbiage so that way I can understand that. But the best line ever, the fuck art wrong with thee. <laughs> when Tumult says that to Rosalind in bed, I was like, yes, I fucking mm-hmm. love that. That was the best line because I understood it. Yeah. And I was like, that is something I will say to people. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> but it was it's great. It was, it was a trip to read. No, I was just going to say, and just littered throughout the book, there's like little references, like there's a little Wu-Tang reference here, mm-hmm. a little Nas reference there, like a lot of little cute Easter eggs that, that, you know, if you catch them, you'll enjoy. Yeah. But it just felt like a task. And um, the thing is that since I'm so unfamiliar with Romeo and Juliet, I want to say I was halfway to two thirds through the book before I was just like, oh, not only are they doing Romeo and Juliet, but this is a prequel. Like, I was almost to the end of the book where I was just like, oh, that's why some of this is unfamiliar because yeah. mm-hmm. this is different perspective and this is, like, before the book. Yes. But, like, I like I literally caught on to that just before the ending. There's also uh, re- a kind of a remix slash, like, Easter eggs to the actual Romeo and Juliet story, too, because, like, um, when... Um, there's a part where everyone's looking for Juliet and they're like, where for art thou Juliet? Mm-hmm. You know, which is a, literally a line from um, the balcony scene of Romeo and Juliet when Romeo says it, but it's, and then also speaking of the balcony scene, when Romeo tries to, to um, woo Rosalind, he stands underneath her balcony mm-hmm. and is trying to get her to come out. Like, like Juliet had come out during um, mm-hmm. the actual but play. So I- I have a question. Yeah. Was Tybalt trying to fuck Juliet or was she trying yes, to fuck? Yes, yes, and okay, it was very creepy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, so I, I, I guess maybe tension, right? that's right. There's all this sexual tension. And I guess that I was thinking to myself, babe, that must be part of the you know original Romeo and Juliet. But I was just like, it when you put it in a more modern setting, it just doesn't play well or sit well. Not as well, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. John like was like, like uh, Brian to, to 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 quote Grandpa like when, when it's you know set in the 1500s, you could say, well, that was the style at the time. The style. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. but like when it's in the 1980s, it's like, eh, eh, this is very cringy. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why Tipple is so gung ho about finding Romeo once he finds out that 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 he might be uh, sleeping with with uh, oh. his cousin as well. So yeah. That, yeah, <laughs> you can't sleep with my cousin. I sleep with my cousin. <laughs> Keep it in the family. <laughs> so that's now funny. that said, because I feel like we've uh, you know kind of crapped on this book. The art, the yeah, color choices, everything about it is so beautiful. The so many facial expressions. There's so many times where um, there's a lot of instances between Tybalt and Rosalind where like the pages are just silent and mm-hmm. it's just facial expressions, and you get the whole story in those moments because mm-hmm. like you know what those expressions mean um you know there's a uh, sexual stuff depicted in this uh in this book but it all seems very real it's not very mm-hmm. titillating it kind of looks no. like sex looks like in real life like <laughs> they do stuff then they kind of cuddle then like you kind of sleep in bed ar- awkwardly and one of you if one of you is a wild sleeper it's going to be a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and the other one's going to take the other person's katana and stand up over them with with the katana yeah that was oh intense because i was yeah, that yeah. was just like is she a plant like is this like a yes. hot situation yeah mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, yeah that, that that was that was pretty crazy but um really cool visual though <laughs> but it was uh yeah and there's I, I think also I think that I think that's actually a big pro about the book is that um, I think maybe Wimberly knew that the dialogue was going to be so like much of like a wall uh, to actually understand what's going on in the story that I think he was I think there's a lot of attention paid to put expressions and put the story mm-hmm. and the drama in the pictures so so even if you have no idea what the hell's going on you can still kind of follow it mm-hmm. you know like there's like, um yeah there's either no or almost no narration in this book it's all dialogue there's, boxes there's not any yeah. you know narrator set yeah. in the scene the scene is set by those pictures exactly there's uh, what's really cool too is that there's actually a, a, like a, a a remix of the chorus of romeo and juliet in the beginning too the little poem yes i thought that was really mm-hmm. cool as well like like because that kind of keeps true to the uh to the original source yes. material but then it, it uh but it adds the um but kind of the hip-hop feel to it as well so and and i do love the creators like if i if i gleaned you know, if I got the right message from the forward, is that like growing up in an area where people assumed because he was poor and black that he wouldn't understand something of like high, like high culture or high, what's considered like high literature, but you know, just because of like his socioeconomic background or his skin color, like he couldn't appreciate those things. He couldn't understand those things. So I think that's maybe also a big reason as to why he chose to use this um, story. And then he chose to use the the verbiage that he did. And I mean, kudos to him because I think that's just a big sucking your thumb. Is that the term from the thing? Did you suck your thumb at me or or whatever? Bite bite your your thumb. thumb. Um, Which is basically flipping you off. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, and I, I can see from a, a personal point of view, like why he chose to do that. But, and I mean, if you like violence, 
if you like, you know, kind of like that Japanese inspired violence with swords and dismembering of body parts and stabbing in the stomachs, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it was- I, I- I don't read violent books like this very often. Like it just mm-hmm. doesn't come across my path, but like mm-hmm. it was refreshing since like, I, I don't read it all the time. I was just like, Oh, like that guy's arm just got chopped off, it, but it looks really, really cool. So Yeah. And it wasn't like gross. It was just violent. Yeah. And like, yeah. I was like, Oh, I, and there's um the, uh, he does this work with like shading and like shadows. So like, you're not seeing like, um, first person point of view of like an arm getting severed with like blood spurting out you're seeing it from like the side in the shadow so you see the action of the arm getting cut off and then you see a blood like a squirt of blood and you see the hand fall and then you see a stump Mm -hmm. and I thought that was very clever and I'm like okay Mm -hmm. because this is actually super gruesome without it being like shocking to me as a reader there's like one gore like fake out even in this where like where they introduced Mercutio to and Romeo and uh, and and like and they like they kind of fake spar each other and, and Mercutio um like slices in front of Romeo and all of a sudden like what looks like blood is splattering out of him yeah. but it turns out it's it's he's wearing spray cans because he, oh, he was going tagging oh that's so, funny so so yeah that's yeah yeah so, I did see that so, okay so there's there's even there's even like a fake out of gore in this book you know so but it's but it's not you know and uh, Mercutio has the best sword yes oh <laughs> yeah with a little like hook at the end that's really cool and Mercutio was my like I said it was like my favorite when actually reading this too because he seemed to be the only one that had his head <laughs> on straight and I think that's one of the mentions also um in the afterward like Wimberly mentions like how he was just fascinated how all these kids are just dumb and like uh, out of control and just doing stupid things. Like um, it's, you know, you it's just like, even, even that's what kind of attracted him to doing this story. Cause even in the original story, you never see the head, you know, you you don't see Romeo's father. You don't see Juliet's father being like, you go do, do this. Like there's no like, Godfather moment in this, you know, no, yeah. singular moment. It's just these kids, um, running rampant doing stupid things to each other you know like like that's really what this feud is um, um that's one thing i was gonna ask since i'm not uh as familiar with the source material i was just like in romeo and juliet do they ever tell you what they're like what the actual montague capulet beef is about because i'm like in this they're dismembering people in the streets like by yeah. the dozens and i have no idea what they're fighting for i think it's like it's a feud that actually goes back like and that's part of like yeah. the soliloquy in the beginning like the poem in the beginning is that like oh it's, it's just a, like a generational it's view. a generation yeah. it's a generational thing and it's so old no one remembers the original reason no they just yeah, know okay. that both the families hate each other exactly. and they're supposed to hate each other yeah oh, that's sweet um, <laughs> now and then well speaking of on the, the whole situation too um the it, it's very it was a very interesting take um that the Montagues are white and the Capulets yes. are black in this story. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, you also, also just in general, even amongst like the black people, just so many different uh, skin tones and hues. Like mm-hmm. it's really like, like there's no, not a lot of people that are like, Oh, they look I- the same or look identical. Like it's very evocative. Yeah. The art with that. Yeah, definitely. You might have to go back to the front to see who's who. Cause there's so many random characters. Yeah. But you, you can tell who, 
that character is once you know you memorize her name you know yeah the hard part is the memorization of all yeah, the names exactly like, the yes yeah. and like tybalt's uh two like uh cousins or whatever that are like like the clown characters the character mm-hmm. characters one of them has like slight cyclops goggles and a high top fade like they <laughs> just have really fun character designs yeah and uh another great part was uh when they're at i think the arcade and like they just respect the girl and she's just like I'll, i challenge you to a sword fight Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was one of the the duelists in the beginning, like uh, on the list. Oh, one, was the she? One that That's funny. To the, the sword fight too. So yeah, so that was, yeah, yeah. That no, was, she was ranked number two. Yeah, so that that was pretty cool, definitely. Um, but um, but no, the 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 Cyclops glasses and the high top fade really reminded me of um of what of uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Like it kind of had that. Oh yes, yes, yes. Kind of the, 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 feel to it. Yeah um but um oh yeah it's i think oh actually right before i i kind of get my final thoughts in um what i did think was really cool about it was and um is the language that they're speaking like the the the, the shakespearean slash hip-hop kind of uh style Mm -hmm. of speaking is only the kids if what yes. Patricia's mom and um oh yeah and, and mm-hmm. as well as Tybalt's mom they they just talk normal like like a normal English like modern English style and they're so, not in on this game that they're playing yeah, yeah exactly so I thought that was really cool just like, LARPing so 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 that was basically like the street speak was like the Shakespearean speak like <laughs> that's how you that's how you converse in Verona <laughs> and, aka 1980s New York so that's so, yeah. really no, it, it's a very interesting book yeah um they're making this into a movie also is oh, baz lerman directing i don't it? know if baz lerman's directing <laughs> it and, I, and i'm kind of i don't know if it's animated or live action but they are making it into a movie i kind of want it to be animated because i love the art style and i do you think that this would be easier to 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 understand if if it's um, a movie or a tv show or or you know or is it i think so it would be the same, you think? No, I think it'd be easier to oh, understand yeah. because yeah. so much of this comes better across maybe acted than, you know, yeah. reading it. Mm-hmm. I can see that, definitely. I mean, like, the, the original material was, was meant to be acted, so that, that would make sense. And I mean, and, and look at something that's like, to reference it again, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, where they did the actual dialogue from the play. Yeah. You know, and that's hard as fuck to understand. And that movie was wildly popular. It was. You mm-hmm. know? Plus, I can just imagine the kind of fucking sick soundtrack like Prince of Cats would have. Yeah. No, be amazing. Definitely. That would be really cool. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah there, um, supposedly, um, Lakeith Stanfield is, is uh, going to be Tybalt. Uh, Spike Lee actually is the director of... Um, that's oh, wow. Movie. So that's I can cool. see that being pretty cool, you know? Um, but um, but yeah, there hasn't been much mention. Um, actually, I'm sorry, Spike Lee getting announced was just three days ago, so that must have happened during Comic Con. Cool. Um, so yeah, um, they're continuing to go go forward with that, and I, I'm definitely interested. I would like to see how this is is going to be portrayed. Uh, it looks like it's going to be live action, so you know, it sounds like it's going to be fun. Um, and I do like Lakeith Stanfield. Um, I don't think I've seen oh, a yeah. movie with them in it. So, so yeah, I'm happy. This sounds sounds good to me. All right. Well, so 
kind of final thoughts you know like artwork good just kind of impenetrable due to dialogue i if you like shakespeare you should mm-hmm. definitely read it <laughs> i think you'd enjoy it. it do more for you than it did for me but that said it's a very good high quality book it just wasn't for me yeah if you have a child who's going to be reading uh romeo and julia anytime soon flip through it uh there are some it's an adult book it is. there are some sexual scenes in it um there are some perky titties that are drawn explicitly but um and some graphic violence and graphic violence uh, and I think they say fuck a lot. Yeah. Uh, but like, and there's drug usage too. Yes. Yeah. So and I think like some domestic assault stuff too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So if you're okay with your 14 year old seeing all of that. <laughs> like no, like it, you said, college. Yeah. Is probably... I mean, I, I think this is definitely a good um, companion piece. To... And, and like I said, the second time reading this, it, it felt a little more impenetrable, which is kind of weird. Because like I said, like usually when you But hadn't something... you done with that podcast? Like, didn't you listen to the podcast that explains everything? Yeah, yeah, that's fact, why. I might even just put a link in the description. Like, before you watch uh, or read uh, Prince of Cats, there's a there's a podcast called Book Cheat. Um, that basically it's a comedy podcast brought to you by the guys who do do go on. If you're familiar with that, and um, the basically the guy reads the book so you don't have to, and he gives you a synopsis and he tells the synopsis to two other comedians who kind of like riff off of the the story. So it's a fun way to kind of learn about books that you know that that are classics that you've just never got around to reading so um i i literally had read listened to that episode of book cheat for romeo and juliet like a week before i yeah. read prince of cats or watch baz Luhrmann's yeah. romeo and juliet that because too. that's also a modern setting with the um original yeah. play so then you can kind of get the vibe it's, it's 90s los angeles what that is that will be so close to be uh being 30 years old that it's very upsetting yeah is it it is uh, yeah well it's a 90s movie i think it's it like 95 is. maybe wow yeah. i was so young i was a baby mm-hmm. i, I know but like no no bring, I, i'm thinking of it the same way as you that like yeah it's a modern retelling but i'm like yeah. oh shit i guess it's not modern <laughs> well that's embarrassing it's a it's 90s. modern for us old people yeah. oh i know it's 90s la versus 80s new york you know like so you know so for all i hope there are no young people listening to us but for all you babies out there who are listening back in my day no oh man was new uh yeah so (gasps) all right well that's i feel old now i know i always feel old (laughs) Um, i'm gonna be 40 next year yeah i'm already for for i know but no i'm just my whole life is flashing before my eyes so (laughs) Last thing, um, you know how we've been doing the book club? Uh-huh. Um, we got two emails. Oh, nice. Um, from people who read the book uh, when I announced it off of Instagram and gave quick blurbs. Um, I'll, and I'll read those out real quick. Devin C. said, I just finished Prince of Cats, mm-hmm. and I loved the artwork and most of the story. There were some parts I didn't fully get the, uh, what was going on, but the aesthetic and vibe kept me reading. Oh, good. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, and then P. Glacier um, absolutely loved every part of it, even more than Romeo and Juliet. Um, the 
the characters seemed a little more fleshed out and it didn't focus on the relationship that the main story does, which could probably be considered problematic today. Ah, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the peak laser was part of the email address. I didn't sign it. As oh, well, that's as funny. I'm guessing that's their name. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. Um, so yeah. And cool. If you wanted us to read uh, your opinion, uh, comics are better at gmail.com. Uh, and then on Instagram, I'll announce the, the book that we're doing the Friday prior to uh, us uh, recording, yes. which is usually a Monday or Tuesday. So you have about four days uh, to, uh, to read and, and make a opinion. Or you can be like Carrie and wait until the day of and read it yes. <laughs> while you have the afternoon off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Um, all right. Well, so I think that's about it. If you guys are have anything else? No. No? Um, okay. Well, I guess uh, I'll go ahead and uh, do our final bits of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, once again, for listening to us. You've reached the end of the show. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Good Pods is at cdbpod.pod. cdbpod. Uh, I always said .com for some reason. Uh, book Clovers, like I said, Fridays. Um, and if you want to... Um, Join the conversation, email us at uh, comicsdeservebetter at gmail.com. Website is comicsdeservebetter.wordpress.com. You can request a future show episode there. Uh, Richard, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I'm at topcat360. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say stuff. Nice. <laughs> um, okay, for my spotlight this week, um, I actually have a couple because I came prepared. I'm doing Mutt Scouts which is a nonprofit based out of San Diego, California. And um, they rescue dogs from Baja, California, and they bring them up stateside. They get them um, taken care of. They, they take them you know, to the vet. Uh, a lot of the dogs that they rescue actually have a lot of like horrible diseases. They have parvo, they have distemper, they have lots of yucky stuff. They bring them stateside, they get them healthy, and they get them ready for adoption. They also allow you to just donate uh, via Venmo or pen, uh, pen pal, PayPal in case you can. Um, they do uh, $5 Fridays because all when they do a drive on Fridays, it's usually to help cover surgery costs for one of the animals. There's also Dogs Without Borders. They're based out of LA. Um, it's They pull small breeds from high kill shelters. If you know anything about Southern California, LA, um, the LA county shelter system is one of the highest kill shelter systems in california so it's like really bad but they get a lot of them out um unfortunately smaller breeds are usually what like homeowners and like homeowner insurances allow more so than like big breeds um so that's why they focus on them um there's also uh canine paws for life which is also an affiliate of the LA County shelter system that works with LA County jails and they train um, large breeds, pit bulls, pit um, mixes, and they actually have the, um, the training systems within the jail. So that way the um, inmates can participate in that and then actually get uh, time shaved off of their sentences by part. And it gives them, you know, like some rehab and everything. Um, as someone who's had a family member in the prison system, it's those types of um, organizations are really helpful because it does help the inmate rehabilitate. And it also makes them feel good because there's something that 
they can look forward to every day and it also keeps their mind off of like the really shitty situation that they're in because we have a for-profit jail system so it's not good for the human being that's in there so these are just some of the things that I like some of the organizations I wanted to spotlight because I think they're really important and um if you just want to check them out on Instagram I'm sure they're on Facebook or 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 on TikTok, um, you know, just any kind of animal shelter speaks to your heartstrings uh, right now because we're back from COVID. Shelters are at a max, like all over the country. They need fosters, they need adopters, they need donations. So really anything that, uh, that you can help out with even a buck or just sharing it on your own social media feeds so that way the word gets out is always highly appreciated. Reminded right now, if you did go to Comic-Con or you went to any other super spreader, um events recently don't forget to get yourself tested for covid because <laughs> even if you weren't really close to anyone you you know that kind of event definitely attracts disease so yeah we were at downtown i'm sorry yep we were at downtown disney uh it's like it, it's like covid didn't exist yeah and i mean everyone's entitled to their opinion i if you want to be maskless that's fine if i you know whatever like you can do what you want but at the same time i think we just all have to kind of like agree that <laughs> that covid exists <laughs> because it's just kind of scary yeah and um and we're i don't richard i don't know about where you're at but like where we are all of our um omicron cases are on the rise and we're yeah. getting some of like the biggest COVID um, numbers that we've seen in almost a year. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing back the mask mandates throughout yep. Southern California. All right, yeah, but for mask up. Oh, they're not bringing anything back down here, but yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the wild west out there, man. Yeah. Oh. There was a there was a sinkhole on only on only in days oh, yeah, the I other saw, day. <laughs> yeah, it scared me. <laughs> bad. Not great. All right. Well, um, I don't have sinkholes on my Instagram, but it's Brian underscore CB <laughs> if you want to uh, go there. Um, so for Richard and Carrie, I am Brian, and this has been the Comics Deserve Better podcast. Remember, comics deserve better, and everyone deserves comics. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>